Listener Production. A resurgence in US consumer confidence keeps US stock gains to a minimum on Friday. And Aussie shares expected to inch lower on Monday with the new era for the Reserve Bank in focus. I'm Tom. And I'm Ryan. It's Monday, the 17th of July. Welcome to the Comsec Market Update. Ryan, that's a good point that you make. It's the uh, beginning of a new era. It is indeed. We heard on Friday that Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe will step down in mid-September. He will be replaced by Deputy Governor Michelle Bullock, who will succeed Lowe in September. And she'll be the first woman to hold the job and has spent her entire career broadly at the bank, joining as an intern in 1985, Tom. So she knows where the canteen is. That's good. I think it's important to understand where the facilities are. But in all seriousness, there has been quite a bit of wringing of hands and gnashing of teeth over this one. You know, we have seen in different settings regime change not proceed all that fluidly. There's not going to be any issue along those lines here at the RBA. It doesn't appear to be the case. Certainly, it's an insider, Tom. So it's a little bit unexpected in that we have had a Reserve Bank review conducted by the federal government, and a lot of that discussion was about the operations of the Reserve Bank, the lack of a press conference after each meeting like the US Federal Reserve has. And we have seen the Governor, Philip Lowe, personally pay a price for forward guidance that turned out to be spectacularly wrong. And of course, Michelle Bullock has been the Deputy Governor since April 2022 and has been right by his side during the period of interest rate increases. I think really what what needs to be made very clear is that the way that the central bank communicates with its stakeholders, as we often say, uh, that could arguably be the, the linchpin here. Absolutely. So Michelle Bullock's early tasks will focus on driving an overhaul of the institution, including fewer interest rate meetings and regular press conferences, and also tackling uncomfortably high inflation. The announcement didn't really prompt economists to adjust their terminal rate for interest rates. So that's the peak in the interest rate cycle. It still sits at 4.6%. We're at 4.1% now. So the market reaction was pretty muted. She's seen as a steady hand. Some economists think that she may be a little bit more dovish on interest rates. Certainly, it's difficult to discern that position because she has been involved with the policy settings that the Reserve Bank don't actually tell us who have said what in those meetings. But at the margin, she's considered to be on the dovish side. And if you look at a recent speech, she strongly stressed that full employment has always been one of the Reserve Bank's two main objectives. So that suggests perhaps that That was the Newcastle speech. The Newcastle speech, yes, indeed. The market um, seems to have gotten to grips with that fairly quickly because Friday was quite a constructive day for the local share market. It rose by three quarters of a percent. And equally impressive was the fact that over the week it rose 3.7%, which was one of the outperformers in global terms. Because if you look at the performances of uh, US markets, it was only the NASDAQ that got close to that, Ryan. So uh, let's quickly reflect on Friday's session in the US. As I said in the introduction, the um, moves were pretty contained. The Dow Jones rose by a third of a percent, the S&P 500 down 0.1 of a percent, and the NASDAQ down 0.2 of a percent. In weekly terms, uh, the NASDAQ rose 3.3%, the S&P 500 rose 2.4%, and the Dow Jones was up 2.3%. Those gains you could reasonably lay at the feet of the very encouraging readings that we saw, not only for 
the consumer price index, but for the producer price index. So seeing those outcomes uh, really laid the foundation for the gains that we saw on Wall Street. That's right, Tom. We did see a string of favourable June inflation data. We had the consumer price index earlier in the week, and then we had the producer price index, and then we followed up with import prices. And what we did see was a continuation of deflation in the international trade prices space. That's expected. Commodity prices have come down. And we have seen in terms of import prices, if you look at the annualised number year on year, down 6.1%. That's the biggest drop since May 2020. So broadly, we are seeing a bit of a deflationary pulse in that part of the market and, and certainly the economy. And we did see on the back of that, some support for shares, but the big focus was on bank earnings. Indeed. But let's just quickly reflect on something that uh, when I saw these figures, my eyes widened a little bit. The University of Michigan uh, releasing its consumer sentiment survey to nudge a near two-year high under these circumstances was certainly unexpected. And that was uh, part of the reason why stocks were perhaps a little more contained on Friday. That would have contributed to that significant move higher uh, for both long and short-term interest rates on Friday. So just to quickly reflect on those moves, a two-year treasury note up by 16 basis points. That's a large move for bonds generally, but particularly for what we call a short bond. So a two-year government bond finished at 4.77% and a 10-year government bond up seven basis points. Not as aggressive, but still up in in the context of things, 3.83%. Those gains in US bond yields, in large part, a reflection of that improvement in consumer confidence. Absolutely. As you mentioned, Tom, the sentiment index hit the highest level in around two years. That was unexpected. It was a strong outcome. That suggests that maybe it's too early for the US Federal Reserve to claim victory in its fight with inflation. We did see underlying focuses on price pressures, particularly consumer inflation expectations. Those also rose. So we did see the one-year inflation expectations for consumers lift from 3.3% to 3.4% in July, and the five-year outlook nudged higher to 3.1% from 3%. In the prior month. So what this all suggests is that consumers still think inflation is ever-present. Yep. And the most important variable for consumer spending remains employment. And that's still solid. And a tight US labor market is key for a long-run inflation focus in, in terms of considerations for investors. Look, I don't want to go down another rabbit hole in terms of the discussion around the RBA, but it, it does like recall the RBA's mindset about trying to preserve the dividend from the stimulus and the the job picture locally and thinking that they're going to be able to have their cake and eat it in relation to preserving the jobs growth and getting interest rates to where they need to to get. That is like landing an elephant on the pin of a needle, isn't it? It is, and certainly the focus on the soft landing is one that has become very much uh, investor focus. And what we have seen from the now Deputy Governor, Michelle Bullock, is that she has said that high inflation, if it was to become entrenched in people's expectations, it would be costly to reduce later and involve an even higher interest rate and larger rise in unemployment. It'll be interesting to see how they adhere to that previous mantra, whether or not there is going to be a stark change in the communication from the low era the Bullock era. It's an opportunity, really, to set reset things. Uh, it'll be interesting to see 
to what extent, if at all, it is seized upon or whether it's like nothing to see here. That'll be the key focus of the new governor when she puts her feet under the desk. <laughs> Indeed. So look, quickly, let's just uh, reflect on the local picture today because it is a pretty big day in that we've got Chinese economic news to look at. And I suppose big in that it's important news, less so in the context that it will probably be weaker news. The cavalry is not really arriving when it comes to Chinese support measures from the administration, Ryan. Well, we have heard from officials, Tom. They've signalled on Friday that more support may be on the cards, although it's likely to be limited in scope and targeted towards specific sectors like the property market and private businesses. We have the People's Bank of China announcing its medium-term lending rates today. No change is expected there. The bigger focus today will be on the economic growth numbers for the June quarter. It's backward-looking, of course, that China is likely to report rapid economic expansion for the second quarter. And the reason for that is, once again, we've talked about this, we'll be comparing the numbers with last year. So June last year, June quarter last year, Shanghai was enduring a COVID-related lockdown. And on the back of that, economic growth via GDP is likely to grow by 7.1% year-on-year in the June quarter. That's up from 4.5%. But if you look at the more important monthly activity numbers, around industrial production, retail spending, and fixed asset investment, they're expected to ease. So production at 2.5%, also fixed asset investment at 3.4%, and retail spending at 3.3%. They're all likely to slide from higher numbers. So we're seeing manufacturing activity contract, deflation looming, export demand falling, and recent holiday spending has been subdued. So home prices have also declined in the month of June. So it's not a particularly positive backdrop for commodities and the Chinese economy at the moment. Indeed. So arguably the highlight of the day. Just quickly, the Aussie dollar has um, had quite a bit of a rally over the course of the last couple of days, although on Friday that moderated somewhat uh, with the greenback strengthening. So the local currency has pulled back from around 68.9 US cents to about 68.4 as we start Asian trade. Oil prices were slightly easier at the end of last week, uh, down by close to 2% for both the US and European benchmarks. And uh, we've got gold flat and iron ore futures up by about a percent. Indeed, oil prices gained nearly 2% last week. So that was important. While they fell on Friday, we saw some profit taking there. And of course, worries about interest rates and inflation again in the US. We have seen some supply disruptions in both Libya and Nigeria. And that's really heightened concerns around supply. So we have seen several oil fields in Libya shut down and also Shell suspended loadings of Nigeria's for Kados crude oil owing to a potential leak at the terminal. So one thing to look out for today will be those movements in oil prices. And quickly, finally, on the corporate front locally, we have Whitehaven Coal providing uh, production and sales figures today. So that's something to look out for in the coal space. Thanks very much for tuning in today. Have a great day. This podcast is prepared, approved and distributed in Australia by Commonwealth Securities Limited, ABN 60067254399, AFSL 238814. The information does not take into consideration your objectives, financial situation or needs. Consider the appropriateness of the information before acting and if necessary, seek appropriate professional advice. Listener.